Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Memory is a funny thing. The way we remember events, the way we talk about events, the way we omit or forget is also incredibly shaped by the world around us. Context matters. How we think about our past as a nation, or as a people, or as a group within society is largely depicted by the values, the culture, the politics, the interests, and the concerns of the here and now. Often people make the mistake of thinking history is somehow a written-in-stone discipline. But in reality, history is always being shaped, reshaped, bent, and borrowed by the present, by the now. In Canada, we have a very complicated relationship with our own history. Some of it has to do with how our American neighbors celebrate their own history. Some of it has to do with our own dark chapters. And some of it has to do with the multicultural mosaic that defines this nation. Many different stories, many different experiences. Regardless, our memory of war is even more complicated in a nation that has traditionally seen itself as a non-warlike nation despite this country having been involved in numerous wars throughout its history. Today's episode is a special one, because we are going to talk about this complicated relationship between Canada and its memory of war, specifically World War II. This is Season 6, Episode 7, The Fight for History, 75 Years of Forgetting, Remembering, and Remaking Canada's Second World War. Today is a rare change of pace because today we will be interviewing Canada's foremost military historian, Tim Cook. Dr. Tim Cook is the acting director of research at the Canadian War Museum. He is the author and editor of 13 books including his three-volume history of Canada in the Second World War, The Necessary War, 
Fight to the Finish, and his newest one, The Fight for History. He is a director for Canada's History Society and a member of the Royal Society of Canada and the Order of Canada. He has recently published his newest book called The Fight for History, 75 Years of Forgetting, Remembering, and Remaking Canada's Second World War. This was published by Alan Lane this past year. This is a must-read for any fan of Canadian history. It is an eye-opening examination of how a nation and a people can choose to forget or only remember specific parts of our history and the fight to reclaim the lost parts. I began this interview by asking Tim if he could kind of give us a synopsis of Canada's contribution to the Second World War. Canada's contribution during the Second World War was, was epic. Just an incredible uh, amount of service and sacrifice. Uh, to remind your listeners, 1.1 million Canadians served in uniform. That's about 1 in 10 Canadians and about 1 in 3 uh, men. Um, there were 50,000 women as well. And of course, on the home front, about 3 million Canadians involved in the uh, war effort from our munitions uh, to uh, a food production. We were a, an agricultural food power to, uh, to producing the goods that, that won the war. And we, uh, we defended North America with the United States. We, we are involved in the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan, 131,000 airmen trained, just a, a staggering contribution. And of course, we fought around the world in the Pacific, in the Southeast Asia, uh, where about 10,000 Canadians served um, uh, in Hong Kong, um, in Sicily, and the Italian campaign, where about 100,000 Canadians served. Very few Canadians, I think, today know that. The Battle of the Atlantic, perhaps the, the most important contribution uh, by Canada to keep Britain in the war, uh, went for uh, the first day of the war to the last day of the war. Of course, D-Day, the, the, the fighting through Normandy, the clearing of the Scheldt uh, in October and November of 1944, Battle of the Rhineland, uh, the liberation of the Dutch, the air war. So, I mean, just a, a brief synopsis there, but really an incredible contribution from Canada. And we paid a, a terrible price with 45,000 killed and 55,000 wounded. But when uh, the war ended in May of 1945 in Europe and then in August of 1945, um, those Canadians returned home. And, and that's what my book is about, The Fight for History. It looks at the, um, the veterans who came back and the way that we as Canadians talked about the war, the way that we enshrined our stories and taught our history. And um, the book itself, uh, it's, it's my 13th book, so I've written a, a lot of Canadian military history, but I found it very strange if one compares to, for instance, the Great War and the way that that war has, has really lodged in our social uh, memory and in our commemorative landscape, and how different it was during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe you could expand on that a little bit. How, how, because the First World War is such, is so embedded in our understanding of Canada and the Canadian nation in the sort of early part of the mid 20th century that the Second World War really sort of is differentiated in many ways. Maybe you could expand on that. Yeah, I, when I started off, I started as a great war scholar, as you know, and, and written a number of books on the Great War. 
And, and when we think of Canada and the Great War, uh, 620,000 who served, 66,000 who died, uh, Canada stepping out onto the world stage and yet also dealing with the aftermath of the war that nearly tore our country apart. And one of the ways that the, that generation in the 1920s made sense of the war and made meaning of the sacrifice was to build thousands of memorials across this country. Wherever your listeners are, I, I imagine in Canada, there is a memorial in the city, town, or village. Um, there are the symbols like the poppy that emerged from the war, John McRae's in Flanders Fields. Of course, uh, Armistice Day marked in 1919 and then renamed 1931 as Remembrance Day. There are provincial memorials. There are the National Memorial in downtown Ottawa, the Peace Tower, and there's the overseas memorials, Beaumont Hamel and Vimy. And I've always wondered why we didn't do that for the Second World War. Why didn't we engage in the same act of making meaning through these symbols and through the memorials? And the, and the book looks at that in the fight for history. I look at the return of veterans and um, about a million veterans who returned back to Canada and, and we treated them well. And that's important to, to recognize. There was the Veterans Charter uh, a series of programs and legislation that really eased veterans back into society. And um, there were jobs and 50,000 went to university. And um, uh, we really, we emerged as a prosperous nation. And if Canadians want to know why we are so prosperous, they need to look to the Second World War. They need to look mm -hmm. at how Canada emerged from that terrible catastrophic conflict and move forward into uh, a very different period, one that, of course, is marked by the social security net that, that we've grown mm -hmm. up with that emerges from the war. So that's one of the reasons is that we were looking forward. We weren't looking backwards. We didn't dwell on the war, uh, but it's not the only reason. Uh, we also, uh, I argue in the book, we didn't do a good job in telling our story. We, mm -hmm. we didn't write the same history books. We didn't have the same television shows. We had almost no films or documentaries. And there was a failure uh, over um, many decades really to tell the story of Canada's uh, epic contribution. And, and that too, when combined with the failure to build monuments really led to a, a rapid forgetting, as I talk about in the book, of our significant contributions in this very necessary war. Um, maybe you could give our listeners uh, an understanding of the efforts to write the history of the war from the British and American perspective, because you make it very clear in the book that they do a much better job of, of detailing the story of their war effort. So perhaps give our listeners an understanding of that. Well, it comes back to this idea that, that we, we failed to tell our story and we can uh, we have on times blamed the British and the Americans for stealing our thunder or stealing our story. And when I taught at Carleton, I would show Saving Private Ryan, for instance, mm -hmm. and, and, and young people, you know, when we talk about the experience of combat and they'd say, you know, and they had seen Band of Brothers and they said, what's the Canadian equivalent? And I said, well, of course right. there isn't one. All right. And you know this teaching your mm -hmm. students as well, I'm sure. Uh, and it goes back generations. I talk about The Longest Day in 1962, that tremendous film, which really um, stirred up the memory. And I talk about in the book how the Queen's Own Rifles, Toronto Regiment that landed on Juneau Beach, they marched out to see the film and they left so disappointed because, again, Canada's story was not told. 
And this extends to, the, to our history books, as, as, you, as you asked there. Um, and, and after the war, there was a brief um, rush of books by journalists, some mm -hmm. of them quite good and still readable, um, Ross Monroe's work and others. But then we, we stopped telling that story and we didn't codify our, um, our contributions in history books. And, and except for Colonel C.P. Stacy, Charles Stacy, who wrote three volumes of the army history, which are foundational works, um, we simply didn't do a good job. And the state, the government, uh, cut our official history programs, both for the Navy and the Air Force. And so we were left for decades with very little written down. And that had an impact, I write in, write in my book, The Fight for History, on, on what we knew about our own history, we as Canadians, but also what other countries, the British and the Americans, because of course they were writing their histories and they were, were followed by the German histories. Uh, and, and every nation wrote their story but Canada didn't. And so through our own absence, through this self-inflicted wound, I argue in the book, um, we wrote ourselves out of the history of the Second World War for many decades. And, and that mm -hmm. I found really bizarre, strange. And I, there were no other countries that did that. Uh, no other significant countries like Canada, which had done such a, a tremendous part in the war. And I suppose there's, an, there's a stronger message running through the book, which is... Uh, of the necessity of teaching our history, of telling our mm -hmm. story, and of not expecting others to do it for us. Um, mm -hmm. Don't expect the Americans to, to produce a film uh, on D-Day that includes Canada. It's, 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 not, um, it's not what they're going to do, and they certainly didn't do that for history either. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point, and 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 so it kind of puts us behind the eight ball, so to speak, in terms of trying to understand our own history of the Second World War and our own and our own participation in it. When we start, when when Stacy starts to publish the, those official histories, and when we start to sort of come back to to trying to understand our participation in the war, it's the '60s. The Cold War is raging. How how much does the Cold War influence our own interpretation of our participation in the war it, it does and and I, I argue that in the book um if if we failed to tell our story in the late 40s and the 1950s and if we failed to build monuments and memorials and if we failed to teach um this history and to write the books um th those are important strands but so too is the environment and in this book the fight for history and in my previous book on vimy uh, where I tried to look at, at Vimy as a martial symbol and why Vimy had mattered to Canadians over 100 years, it's very clear that the societies um, and the different generations have an impact on how we see history. And as you mentioned, um, the Cold War certainly had an impact. It was very difficult to reflect upon um, the Second World War when there was the threat of thermonuclear annihilation. Right. And I, I talk about that in the book where you know, Remembrance Day in the 1950s, it's, it's almost a quaint event where people, journalists are remarking, well, isn't it, isn't it interesting that we're, we're honoring the fallen when all of us could be victims in the next war? Right. Um, and then by the 1960s, a different generation, that, that youth uh, culture and youth power and pushing back against their parents, and of course, the rise of the anti-war movement from the mid-1960s with the Vietnam War, that again uh, changes the way we think of our uh, wartime contributions and, and we clearly uh, distance ourselves from war. If we think of 
the First World War and the Second World War and the Korean War in the 60s, where we, we like to frame ourselves in opposition to the United States, mired in the Vietnam War as a mm-hmm. peaceable kingdom, as a, as a very different country. And if we did think of a war, it was through the lens of the peacekeeper, which as we know, uh, was a very potent symbol for Canadians in the second half of the 20th century. And so all of these factors come together, I argue in the book, um, to, to really diminish um, what we did during the war. And, and that has an impact, I think, in, in how we saw ourselves as Canadians. And I have a chapter looking at French Canada and mm-hmm. how that too impacted um, uh, our memory and, and uh, aspects of commemoration. And to the point where um, by the 1970s and 80s, uh, Canadians really knew very little about the Second World War experience. And what they did know was largely focused on defeat and disgrace. Defeat in terms of Dieppe, which has always been a powerful symbol mm-hmm. um, and one that we have taught. And yet, isn't it strange that we focused on one day in the war, a clear-cut defeat, at the expense of 100,000 Canadians serving in Italy or the Battle of the Atlantic or yep. uh, uh, clearing the Scheldt, which is absolutely crucial to the Allied war effort. Uh, isn't it strange that we focused on defeat and then also uh, disgrace in terms of the forced relocation of Japanese Canadians, which is a, a dark moment in our history that we have to talk about. And I write about that in the book, but that too obscures um, the, the, the rich and the full contribution of Canadians. And so by the 1980s, it's, it's really a story of defeat and disgrace and, and no other country went through that process. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic. That defeat and disgrace theme uh, is, is evident in, 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 throughout your book, and I, I find it um, to be a, a troublesome um, um, aspect of of our efforts at commemoration or, or memory or historical uh, reckoning. Um, it seems like there are numerous low points for remembrance and for reflection. Um, the '60s and '70s seems like. The, the, the late 60s and early 70s seems like one of the major low points, but perhaps all of this is wrapped up or perhaps one of the great metaphors for these, these low points is the struggle to create a World War II memorial. And perhaps you could give our listeners a sense of that story of why there is no, well, there is one, but not in the same way that perhaps we wanted it in the post-World War II period. Yeah, I, in, in, in researching the book, I uncovered this incredible story of, the, of that World War II generation coming back, the veterans, um, through the Royal Canadian Legion. And the Legion is an important um, historical group. Uh, we don't think of them as a group uh, that is interested uh, typically in, in matters of history. It's much more about the veterans' experience, making sure that there's proper care and recognition but they were champions for fighting um, for Canada's history. And I write that in the book. And the Legion in 1945 and 46 uh, appeals to the government of the day, William Lyon Mackenzie King's government, which had taken us through the war. And they said, we, we understand Remembrance Day. It's an important symbol and we accept the poppy. Um, and we, we understand the structures of memory but what they wanted was their separate national memorial in downtown Ottawa. The, the national memorial that's there today had only been unveiled in May of 1939, and yet it is so overtly uh, related to the First World War. The 22 figures uh, in First World War uniforms passing through the arch, 
Um, it's a very powerful memorial. And yet the World War II veteran said, it's too closely linked to the Great War. Mm -hmm. And they fought hard for a separate memorial and they were turned down. They were denied that by the government. And I argue that's an important thing that in not having a separate memorial that as we discussed earlier, David, um, the Great War continued to dominate that right. landscape right. of memory. And, I, and, and, and the veterans come back to this a decade later and it's a fascinating story um, which I won't, uh, don't have time to recount here. There's a really good book some of your listeners may want to buy. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, but uh, it, 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 the lack of memorials um, is important. And again, if we think both in Canada and overseas, um, there simply were not memorials, or if there were, they were functional. And right, so what right. emerged out of World War II were hockey arenas and gardens and libraries. And these were important as places of, of laughter and life, but they were not sacred. Uh, and the veterans of the day argued that. They said, if you want to build a hockey arena and call it a memorial arena, that's great, but it's not a sacred space. And right. um, the book explores that. And also the failure to build an overseas memorial. I mean, I've been to Vimy many times. Uh, Vimy and Beaumont Hamel and other sites are powerful um, places of history, of, of grief, of sorrow, of pride. Mm -hmm. And yet for decades, we had nothing. And it really fell to the veterans to build the Juno Beach Center, uh, right. which was unveiled in 2003, which I talk about in the book. And, um, you know, the book has, has a subtitle of uh, Forgetting, Remembering and Remaking Canada's Second World War. The forgetting happened for about 50 years. Uh, and the key change event, the, the, the turning point, I argue, is the 50th anniversary in, in 1994, yeah. 1995, um, from an absolute low point where very few Canadians knew much about the war. Uh, David, I'm a little older than you, but I remember being taught very little. Even my university courses, there was very little on Canada's contribution in the Second World War. There was a tremendous focus on Dieppe, on, on the attacks on civil liberties, on conscription, and yet so much was left out. And yeah. And I argue in the book, it, it was those 50th anniversaries where thousands of Canadian veterans returned to France in 1994, and then more importantly, to the Netherlands the next year, 1995. And they were greeted as the aged warriors that they were. The French and the Dutch had not forgotten that Canada and those Canadians had brought freedom. Um, and that's a key turning point. And I argue in the last 25 years, we've done a better job in... Yeah marking the veterans experience in telling our stories um and yet it is a fight as as the title of the book suggests it's a fight that is is not over right. and it's interesting too because your book explores um different aspects of veterans groups who have to fight for their own inclusion in the memory of the war in in our recognition of service for instance you talk about the merchant marine and perhaps you could expand on and, and also of course indigenous veterans who have their own struggle uh, uh, tied into the struggle for indigenous rights uh, in Canada broadly speaking perhaps you could touch on a little bit about these groups trying to sort of carve their own history within this broader history being sort of rediscovered and remade yeah, the book explores the role that veterans have played in, in fighting for their own history, as we've just said. Um, and veterans are not a monolithic group. We had a right. million from the Second World War 
by the 1950s, there were still about 450,000 from the First World War. And, and they, of course, marched uh, off into our own history, building up our country uh, in many directions. And, and uh, for the most part, in a broad general terms, we can say that the state treated veterans fairly well, but not all. I talk in the book about the Hong Kong veterans, uh, uh, the 2000 Canadians who were sent as sea force to defend Hong Kong. And, and um, about 1500 came home in 1945 and they were terribly, they were malnourished. They had been right. beaten and starved and they had to fight for proper right. uh, uh, pensions and state control. Uh, indigenous veterans um, who uh, served about 4,000 during the war, uh, who were largely treated as equals in the ranks. Uh, they returned to a country that, that of course, uh, didn't even allow them to vote. And, and yep. I talk about how Indigenous veterans were often at the forefront of the um, Indigenous work that has uh, occurred over the last 75 years to fight for greater rights in Canada. Uh, another incredible story there uh, among a, a particular group of veterans. Uh, you mentioned the Merchant Marine. These were about 12,000 civilian sailors who were uh, manning those uh, great cargo ships, uh, which kept Britain in the war during the Battle of the Atlantic primarily. And they were the victims of the U-boats that were se seeking to sever that lifeline from North America. And they took horrendous casualties. And yet in 1945, they were, they were not recognized as veterans. So they yeah. too have had their own fight. So that's, that's also part of this story, um, the question of, of veteranhood or veteran status, um, and also how I argue over the last 25, 30 years, veterans have often been at the forefront of the battle to reclaim our lost or forgotten history. Yeah, and it's a great point. And I, I, I really, what I really loved about the book was how you explored so many veteran opinions and reactions to the various issues that were going on and how you showed that at times, not, no two veterans were necessarily the same in their position or their thought process. And that was a really fascinating aspect because I think we do often think of veterans as a monolithic group and, and this sort of, they're all the same, they all feel the same, they have the same ideas. And, and when, we, when we really dive into Canadian military history, what we learn, of course, is that there's veterans on both sides of many different disputes and many different um, fights and many different battles going on, uh, intellectually speaking and, and socially speaking within Canada. I thought that was really one of, in my personal opinion, one of the strongest points of your book, I think. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It was not easy history to write. As you know, there's there's quite a lot written about Canada now in the Second World War. And I would argue a, a lot of it over the last 25 years of my generation and your generation. Um, but almost nothing on, on the memory of the war and on the veterans experience. And, um, you know, this is the third book I've written on Canada and the Second World War, the first one, The Necessary War and, and Fight to the Finish. And those came out in 2014 and 15. And when I was touring the country, this was pre-COVID days, of course, uh, back <laughs> yes, when you could course. meet people, people, people said two things to me. One, you know, thank you for writing these books and, and, and thanks for telling these stories. Didn't know about them, they said. They said, I, I've read World War II history my whole life, but I, I love the, the Eastern Front or the Pacific Theater. Or I knew about this, but I never knew Canada had played such a key role. And that was interesting and, and, and struck me as something, you know, that's fed into this new book 
on why we didn't do a better job in writing our own history. But secondly, they said, thank you for writing this because I now have a better sense of what my dad did in the war right. or my great uncle or my grandmother. We never talked. There was a silence. There was a silence in our family. And David, I've heard that so many times that it's just, yep. it, it just, it, it is a prevalent theme. The, the failure of, of loved ones and families to talk to veterans and also veterans having challenges talking about their experience. And I think we have a much better sense of PTSD now or the way that war imprints itself on, on those who participate. We know the challenges and, and how it can take decades for these stories to emerge. Um, and I, I wanted to write the fight for history to come out in the 75th anniversary, which it did this year of the end of the war, but also as a, as you know, not, not so much for the veterans because they're almost all gone. We're down to 22,000, um, but, but for their children, for their descendants, mm -hmm. for their grandchildren to have a better sense of what their parents or grandparents went through. And the book has only been out for two, two and a half months now, but it's a bestseller and I've received lots of great emails and letters from people just saying again, you know, thanks for, for telling this story. Thanks for helping me understand, you know, why in this particular case, I didn't know about Canadian history, but also thanks for, for shedding some light on what my, my dad or my grandfather or my grandmother not only did during the war, but the veterans experience afterwards. And I, I think um, my book isn't the last word on the topic. There will be others who come to this, but I think it'll be a, a book for others to, to reflect upon and to build on. And, um, and one of the key things I think is crucial for us is to have a better understanding of the veterans experience in Canada, which as you've said, as I've said, is complex, it's contested, it's messy, it's not one narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, and it couldn't be, of course, there are a million veterans, and um, we need to do a better job in, in understanding that history. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And it's interesting when we talk about this, this sort of view of monolithic uh, groups, Another aspect of our history of the war is the, the concept that there's this monolithic reaction to the war between English and French Canada. That we often, when we speak of the war, especially you know, for me as an English Canadian, I often find myself falling into a trap of just speaking as, uh, from the perspective of English Canada. And what I don't do is I don't uh, often remember that there's a very different interpretation of the events in, in French Canada. And your book touches on this uh, really well, and it's a really fascinating window into a subject matter that I don't think a lot of people in English Canada read enough about. Could you comment perhaps on the memory of the war in French Canada? Yeah, I, I do address that in the book, and it's, it is challenging. Um, uh, I think when we write about military history, we have to um, understand that, that it is not it is viewed differently in French Canada and it has, and the legacy 
of the Great War with conscription has an impact on, on um, French Canada's contribution to the Second War, although it's far more significant. Uh, I think it's around 120,000 identified French Canadians serving, which is a significant number. Yep. But in, in the book itself, I, I look at that in the way that, that French Canada or Quebec has uh, tr- come to understand their experience. And again, uh, to come back to that theme we talked about, um, the society in which uh, the history unfolds has an impact on, on the meaning of the history. So yes, right, the Second right. World War contribution doesn't change, um, but how uh, we view it changes with each generation. That's a major theme in the book. And of course, um, that is uh, very prevalent in French Canada and the, the rise of, of French Canadian nationalism with the Quiet Revolution, the FLQ crisis, that has a profound impact mm-hmm. on, on the memory of the war. And so I, I tease that out in the book. And I think that's a, another significant contribution where we just haven't explored a lot of this history before. And so I hope that the fight for history opens up new pathways for scholars to, to delve deeper um, into, this, uh, into these various topics. And that's certainly an area that I think um, amongst English Canadian scholars that 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 d- deserves uh, uh, to go deeper in um, as well. And I um, and and again, just to, and it's I just want to drive home this point for our listeners. So much of his writing history is is affected by the events going on around you at the time. And I can't stress I stress this so much to my students and. And the more we learn about history, the more we realize how subjective it can be to the context of the time we're in. And this brings me to one of my um, questions is that throughout your book, and especially in the 80s and 90s, as the veterans organizations become more and more vocal and more and more well organized and, and, and more and more effective at lobbying the government, there is a tension that emerges. And the tension that emerges is between the way the veterans remember the war and the way non-veteran groups are writing and talking about the war. And I find that tension to be fascinating because as, a, as historians, both, both you and I, we have, we, you know, we have a sort of an ethical training in, in, our, in, our, in our discipline and we write based on research. And then there's veterans who have gone through it, but they might not experience the things that we write about and we might not even address the things that they've experienced. Could you comment on that tension that kind of erupts a little bit during the 90s and onwards? Yeah, there is a tension there. And, um, and I try to be fair in the book, both to historians and veterans, but um, I'm not calling for a heroic um, narrative or a, a stand behind the flag, my country always right, or veterans always being right. The veterans were not always right in some of their uh, larger arguments uh, about the fight for their history. And there is an interesting tension, I think, in the book where I explore this in a number of, of areas, one of them at the Canadian War Museum where I work, right. uh, over the interpretation of Bomber Command, which um, some veterans found very offensive. And um, um, again, there's a larger story here that you need to understand these controversies, because they stretch back decades. And I, I think I unpack that in the book to explore uh, the particular case of Bomber Command veterans. Um, well, I had a grandfather who flew in Bomber Command. So it's a, been an area of subject, a subject area that I've always read about. And I know very well 
Uh, and, and those veterans felt that they had not been properly thanked at the end of the war when, when Bomber Command had in fact played a crucial role in taking the war to Germany. Um, and, and over the years, um, they had often been accused of bringing the war to women and children. Now, the flip side to that, and what I believe firmly is that it was a total war and that, um, uh, that the Germans had started strategic bombing first, as they clearly did in both wars, and yet um, that Canadians were involved in these operations. And so right. I talk about this through the two particular lenses. One, an interesting controversy at the War Museum about a failed Holocaust gallery right. in the 1990s, which has really not been written about in many books and will be new for, I think, all of your listeners. Yep. And then a, a, a larger controversy um, when the new War Museum opened in 2005 over, over the interpretation of bombing. And again, I use them as examples to look at the fight over history. And again, not a, what happened, but the interpretation of in a particular right. time period. So uh, I won't go into all the details there. No, save um, it for the book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Except to say that I think there's a lot for people to, to think about in the book. And um, I've had a few senior scholars write to me saying, you know, this is great stuff. I, I knew about a lot of this. These are people who've been writing for, for years and years, but it's been put together in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. And right. I think um, from the most senior scholars to students, to the general public who, um, as, as you, as you know, David, I, I do write my books for all Canadians. I'm a public historian. Um, uh, I, I have made it my mission over the last um, 20 years, largely guided by my work at the war museum where I'm a public historian and, my whole job is to take complex ideas and find ways to share them with all Canadians. Right. Um, I hope the book um, sheds light on our contested history and um, uh, gives us a better sense of, of what we did together 75 years ago in an, in the necessary war, a war that had to be won mm -hmm. against Hitler and the fascists. Um, and, and yet there are lessons both in, in how we fought the war but then also how we failed to tell our story. And um, I guess I'll end on a maybe a positive note in saying, I think we've done a better job over the last 25 years, but it comes at a time when we're down to 22,000 Second World War veterans and we will soon be losing out all of our veterans. And I wonder what that will mean for our country. Uh, yeah. And how we will move forward into a new period where it will be on us, various generations to keep these memories alive. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in, and stay cool. <laughs>